Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Link to the Cast. I'm your party host Dave Ryan, joined not this week by Brian McNamara. It's back to how it used to be. It's been a while. I'm joined by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? Why I'm on. We've been abandoned this week, Mark. Yeah, I know. Where is he? He is in work, sadly. Uh, I've kind of... We've had one of those passing ships in the night week we have sometimes where, like, when I'm in school, I work mornings into afternoons and he's on night shifts. So he won't be, I think, touching down back here until about 11 o'clock, which is far too late to start these uh, overly long and verbose podcasts. Does Do you feel that B-Boy might fear my presence now I'm back? <laughs> You're going to start a feud on the podcast to see who, you know, reigns supreme. There can be only one. I, I'm not going to say I'm going to... Uh, snap a snooker queue in, in two and let you two fight to the death over me but if needs must <laughs> how are you mark how's your how's your week been we've it's been about nearly two weeks now since we recorded last our last podcast how is life uh, back home uh, in england treating you at the moment uh my body clock is more or less back to normal now um I don't know. I I feel kind of in limbo, a little bit in between nations because I I literally am. Um, as as some of you may be aware, I'm obviously moving over to your fair shores uh, next week. Um, although I have a, a slight stopgap in Romania this weekend before then, because why the hell not? Uh, as my plan seems to be to just not being one country for more than three to four months at any given time at the moment. <laughs> Start to get jumpy. Yeah, you know it's just. It's interesting. It's it's very weird that um, I've been unemployed for a couple of weeks, and yet somehow seem to be piling up the list of places I seem to be going. It's quite it's quite unusual, and still seem to have money. Um, maybe I should have just stayed unemployed the whole time. Yeah, apparently it seems like a good financial strategy. Yeah, uh, it's, it's working out well for me. Do you want to fill the people in on the fucking headache that it's been to try and uh, organize the logistics of getting you over here? Well, I, I don't think it's that much of a hassle. The, the biggest issue mainly was, um, so young Dave Ryan is going to fly over next weekend to join me on my travels uh, into your fair country. And the, the biggest issue was um, I'm hiring a, a van to do a one-way trip to get all of my stuff over, which uh, is going to be interesting because... I'm going to be running against the clock to get to the ferry in time, and I've not driven a car in over six months. Yeah, and I want to interject at this point and think that, like, you're not the first person to have moved between England and Ireland or the other way. And I think both of us had kind of assumed that this was a service that had existed. Yeah. Where it would be, not I'm not saying the simplest thing in the world, but relatively simple to, like, rent a car near where you are. Like, you're near enough to London, you would think, well, it should be easy enough to rent a car there. And there are many rent-a-car places back in Ireland, so it should be easy enough to return it. Now, this was the thing we kind of identified. This is what we planned to do several months ago and never really looked into until, like, a couple of weeks back, maybe. Yeah. And then kind of hit a wall because you were basically being told to fuck off with these notions. I I think the key word there is car. Yes. Um, I think if I needed a car... I'm going to go on the presumption that my options would have been a little bit more um, uh, available to me. Hmm. Uh, but because I was looking for a kind of car van hybrid, there was just nothing available. And I ended up being able to get to the compromise where 
And what we're doing now is we're going to drive to yours on the Saturday and then on the Monday have to drive back into or drive up to Northern Ireland um, into the quote-unquote UK to to drop the van off. Is it it the Saturday or is it the Sunday? I thought it was the Sunday. No, the Monday. Oh, Monday. So we have a whole day off then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I can't. uh, They're not open on the Sunday. All right. Okay. Well, Brian's booked the wrong day off work then. Anyway. What a clown. (laughs) There you go. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So what we have to do then is we have to drive from your or from where you are, all the way to the ferry, get the ferry to Ireland, drive to my house, unpack the stuff, and then on Monday we have to take a road trip to Alma. Yeah. In the north of Ireland. Yeah. Sounds um, fun. Yeah, and then somehow figure out a way to get back. Uh huh. So it should be uh, easy. Yeah, no, it shouldn't be any problem at all. I shouldn't be and very then, tired. And then I, I need to, you know, sort my life out. But we'll yeah. worry about that. And now I've realised that because it's Monday, I need to go and figure out, um, you know, how to get an excuse to get out of college for the day. I am sure I messaged you to inform you that it was Monday we I, were going. I was almost certain that it was Sunday. <laughs> I was like, anyway, look, we'll move on. We'll talk about games. That's what the people are here for. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, I have had a a long week. I haven't really got to play all that much. I had um, two inspections this week. You know, they say lightning doesn't strike twice. Well, it struck me clear in the face uh, a couple of times this week. So uh, I've only been playing a couple of things. The thing I've been kind of just uh, chipping away at pretty much as my kind of, uh, like FIFA, my kind of chewing gum for the eyes game where I don't really have to think too much about what I'm doing. It's just all kind of muscle memory um, is Mad Max, which I think on this podcast... I was saying was like the best seven out of ten game of last year. I think that was the kind of common consensus a lot yeah. uh, across a bunch of podcasts and websites. Yeah, I think actually that might be worthy of consideration as an awards category for next year, like best <laughs> seven out of ten game, because like there is something to be said for that caliber of game that like it's not reinventing the wheel, it's not fantastic, but at the same time like you'd be happy enough to just plug away at it and just have a bit of fun with it. What is the James Milner of video games? <laughs> it's the Lee Carsley or the Thomas Gravison <laughs> of uh, <laughs> of video games. But um yeah, enjoying it a lot. It's it's a big enough um open world game. There's a lot of kind of um there's a, there's a lot of things to be doing to keep you busy where like in each territory you work for kind of like a warlord and you can you build up their stronghold with different resources to like replenish your fuel refuel your to replenish your fuel to replenish your water to replenish your health uh, all kinds of things that you go and find parts around the map for those and there's a little side quests where you kind of um, reduce the threat in the area of like rival gangs and stuff like that and you bring it down through all these different side quests to zero to get a nice little trophy for yourself mm-hmm. and this is all independent of the like the main story missions but all the while like doing all these side quests helps you unlock like cool new parts for your car or to upgrade max with uh, and I've kind of been going through and it's one of the rare games for me uh, these games with RPG elements and a lot of side quests where I literally I'm not even paying any attention to the main story because I'm just having a bit of fun just going around like beating the holy hell out of people taking camps like reducing threats and getting like a badass car and badass armor and stuff like that like I have I've already despite the fact I doubt I'm much more than a quarter of the way through the story Max himself is fully upgraded (laughs) and the car is like a good half to two thirds of the way to being fully upgraded just because like I'll go into a new territory 
like if you do story missions in a row without kind of doing anything else like you unlock all the territories very quickly but what i've been yeah. doing is like i'm in territory one so i won't move to a mission set in territory two until i've i've literally gutted the whole territory of everything there is to do have you in in a way inadvertently broken the game because you're now overpowered um i had when i was in the last territory which is i think the second big ter- territory maybe the third um i i was starting to get that sense where like the difficulty curve uh was nowhere near uh matching how upgraded i was so i was kind of like milling through waves and waves of enemies but now i'm in kind of the second to last territory in the game the last territory being where the final showdown happens in gas town and the difficulty curve has started to catch up with me now so it's much yeah. more challenging like I am like there was a whole kind of 10 hours of that game where I don't think I died or was in mortal peril once I was just wailing on dudes that easy but now it's like there's a couple of strongholds or camps that I have to kind of go into and kill everybody in that like the waves there's so many waves of guys with different variations of weapons and stuff like that that I either need to be paying 100% attention or I'm gonna die yeah and like i mean you're clearly being able to spend a lot of time not on the the main story yeah. uh, like the the terrain and, and the environment is it is because for what i imagine as the kind of mad max visual scenery i can't imagine there's a lot there to uh enjoy in terms of the terrain and landscape but um, is there you'd actually be surprised at how well firstly like i need to say that this is one of the I don't know if you've seen much of the footage of it. Like, it is genuinely one of the most visually stunning games on consoles at the moment. Like, they've Warner Brother game seems to have that down. Yeah, like if there's one thing like that is better, that is way better than seven out of ten about this game, it certainly is the environments and how the game looks. But there's de- there's definitely enough kind of variation within. Like, there's um, each kind of territory has its own slightly different aesthetic if you're paying attention. Yeah. Like, there's one that's a very kind of, like, hilly terrain. The one I'm in now is very much just, like, little oil refineries and kind of stu- stuff like that everywhere. Um, And, like, there's different highways and kind of, like, um, just ruined buildings and stuff around the place. That it isn't, like, it do- it's not just you driving around in a literal sandbox with no real landmarks. Yeah. Uh, it's not something where I could imagine without the aid of GPS you would be able to find oh I just take a left at that burnt out car and I can easily find my way like it's something that if you didn't have the map the, the GPS um, you definitely wouldn't be able to find your way around like they're not that strikingly um, different the, the territories but there is definitely like a, a subtle difference to everything in it yeah, because um, the game the game that I use as um, a comparison for anything like this is always Red Dead Redemption in that there are large parts of that environment which um, there's not a lot going on, but there, there's just little things that make that world come alive mm. and that what makes that game as immersive uh, as it is. Um, yeah, so I don't know if it's, it's, it's something similar. Yeah, it's certainly not on that level. Like There are things you'll come across, like um, just events that are happening in the environment, like there'll be raiding parties that come by and try to like destroy you and your car um that you'll have to like do some of your car combat with you could come across uh, a convoy route or a minefield that you'll have to go and deal with or sometimes you'll find a bunch of uh people wandering in the desert uh dying of thirst and you get the option for like um i don't know if there's any discernible benefit to it yet or it's one of those kind of challenges in the game where you get a level upgrade if you do enough of them 
because okay. I don't really look at my challenge map um, or my challenge list but yeah. you get the opportunity to feed them from your canteen which like unless you have upgraded your strongholds water is hard to come by mm. um, so like there's all different kind of things like that like I said I wouldn't say it's half as immersive as Red Dead Redemption like that is a, that's a real kind of like that is a game that's proper up on a pedestal but like I said, it, like it is, um, it's a lot of fun, and um, if it if you catch it on sale again, like it was down to, I think I got it for thirty quid, um, in the January sale. So like for thirty quid, I've definitely got more than my money's worth out of it already. Um, I definitely think I'm going to get the platinum in it. I'd be stunned if I couldn't get that in CEX for twenty quid by the the middle of this year. Do you know what it would be the perfect game for uh, for people um, if they can hold out this long if they've got enough of their backlog to work through? It's the perfect start of summer game when the drought uh, of new releases starts. Yeah, yeah. Because it's enough, like it will occupy a good, like I say I've put a good 15 to 20 hours into it already. Um, Like if, I, if you're doing it methodically like I am, you could probably breeze through it in less if you just mainline the story. Yeah, but um, the way I'm doing it, like I think it could take me up to about forty hours to do to a hundred percent the game, uh, which for thirty euro, like forty hours, is pretty great. Um, it's a pretty great return. Um, the other game I have been playing this week because I'm sure I'll be talking about Mad Max again when I get close to the platinum on it. Uh, I've been playing a, a game. You you might have heard of it, Mark. There was a bit of a to do about this game this week. Uh, I've been playing The Witness. It does have the proverbial buzz about it at the moment. Yeah, this is uh, this is the latest game from Jonathan Blow, he who is uh, well known for Braid. A fucking walking enigma of a video game designer. Yeah, um, Braid is a thing where it was very much the buzz game when it came out as well. That, that and Limbo. That yeah, kind of and Limbo was more my game. Braid, not so much. Um, I was the other way around, funnily enough. Were you? That's, that's yeah. strange. I just I don't know. There was something about Braid. I just it never, it, uh, I just never got hugely into it. I could appreciate what it was and what it was doing and stuff like that, but I never got into it to the point where I had a compulsion to come back and play it a lot. It's massively pretentious. E- yeah, but well, then again, like huh, we'll get into the witness. We'll, we'll, <laughs> it's not it's not without its pretension. Look, um, anyone any video game designer who creates these games standing up. Yeah, there's a level of pretension going on there. Hey, look, if standing desks are good enough for Drew Scanlon, they're good enough for me. Yeah, fair play. Um, look, uh, the witness on the face of it is um as kind of semi semi open worldish, like it's set on an island. Um, it's a puzzle game on the face of it. Your only interaction with the game at all is, are these panels that show up all over the island with different puzzles now when i say what the puzzles are about it's going to sound very simplistic in that your goal with every single puzzle every single puzzle and there are nearly 700 of them is to get your line that you're drawing on the puzzle from point a to point b now to say that there are layers to that (laughs) is to put it fucking mildly right (laughs) okay there are some very early on which are very basic where like it's like obvious where you need to lead the thing right um then what happens is very quickly and this is kind of where the pretension comes in a little bit because i think this is jonathan blow sitting around going i'm going to show you how there's 700 ways to do ostensibly the same puzzle uh, but just by adding layers and rules and things like that. Um, I'm going to say right now that if puzzle games 
are not the kind of game for you do not buy this game mm-hmm. <laughs> because not only is this a puzzle game but this is a puzzle game that does not come anywhere close to holding your hand whatsoever <laughs> like <clears throat> the only way you can figure out how to do a particular type of puzzle on this game is by happening across the simplest one in the series somewhere on the island right and training yourself to know what the rules of that particular puzzle are i will give you an example so there are on these panels there can be grids right and it'll tell you get from a to b the first kind of variation on that i encountered was a kind of where you get from a to b and on the track where you draw your line there are different black dots around the panel you have to try and figure out a path that gets you from A to B while intersecting with every single black dot. Now, the other wrinkle in it is that you can't get your line that you're drawing to cross itself at any point. Okay. So, so you kind of, you zigzag, you figure out a way around. There's usually only one way to skin this particular cat where you get it from A to B while intersecting all these things. The next, um, I, I, you see, this is the thing about a game like this. I don't want to start explaining the rules. Like, that one is ridiculously straightforward. Anybody can figure out that that's what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. Even the next one up from that, I would hasten to actually go into explain what the rules are. Well, explain this to me, because, yeah. I mean, I've not looked into much about this game. This is the kind of thing I feel I want to come into it um, kind of blind almost, but I'm intrigued to know... What is the the connection between there's this island that you can explore and there are these puzzles? Now, is this okay. one of those kind of gone home, everybody's gone to the rapture type, just um, no NPC type environments where you just explore, but there just happens to be a bunch of puzzles latched onto it? Or there is there a connection between everything? Okay, here's what I will say. Firstly, my disclaimer is out of the 600 and like it's somewhere between six and 700 puzzles in this game, right? And of the six or seven hundred, and this isn't like you don't need six or seven hundred to beat the game. You can beat the game with less. the uh, the whole um the whole island is seemingly divided into eleven areas, just based on I I have found a map at this point, so it's split into about eleven areas. Um, the eleventh one being where the end game happens. Um, you then have to beat a subset of core puzzles in each area to unlock the area that the end game happens in am i mm-hmm. am i being clear on that kind of yeah yep yep i have beaten 87 puzzles so far which like i think i'm doing quite well because i've only spent a couple of hours playing it so 87 yeah. i think i'm doing okay at it um i and this is just like i'm not going out of my way to find the core puzzles i want to really try and you know get myself immersed in the world um, visually the game is very striking and to get to your point about NPCs there are I have not encountered a single soul on this island yet now what I am led to believe just listening to the likes of um, the Bombcast, um, IGN's review and reading a bunch of reviews online about this game is that without spoiling it on myself I have, I have picked up that there are like some sort of kind of audio log MacGuffin things around the place mm-hmm. that do talk sort of about what's going on and like 
it does get very dark and very strange apparently um for what i could go again like any time i sensed that someone was starting to talk about this i didn't want to get anywhere near it because uh, i don't want to spoil it on myself um but yeah there's something as you walk around um it's hard to describe but like you get the feeling that you know you're having fun with these puzzles or you're getting infuriated by these puzzles and you're looking around you're looking at the pretty really bright vibrant colorful environments but do you ever get the feeling like that just something is slightly off yeah and that's what it is and i can't figure out what it is and i don't want to say it on the air like a couple of things i've run past and i'm like that's kind of fucking weird um because i th- it'll it'll spoil things um but like i've gone through um you start in a castle and that's where it teaches you the very basic puzzles and then you come out and pretty much after that it's pretty much an open world and you can get to most of the other areas from like once you get out of that gate at the start right and that's what's interesting is that people seem to be attacking this game in different orders yeah um the trophy list for the game is no help either because it's only it seems to be you get a trophy for beating each of the main territories in the game and then there's one hidden one particularly hidden trophy that there's very few people who have actually gotten the platinum on this game so far so very few people actually understand what that last trophy is about seemingly i I heard brad shoemaker talking about this um so like there seems to be it seems to be one of those games where you're going to hear for weeks or months afterwards like people discovering different things happening in the game mm-hmm. just based on how different people are going to hit walls at different points and it seems like like people i have heard and read talk about different puzzles that they've really hit the wall against and i re- like just from their vague descriptions i know the type of puzzle they're talking about and i've breezed through it so it like and then ones they talk about being ridiculously easy, I'm getting hung up on for hours. Um, like I find myself, and if you look at um, who's I saw uh, Patrick Klepek's Instagram page is just destroyed with the the notebook scrawlings of a madman. I did see that. Yeah, he's doing exactly what I did in school yesterday, where I'm sitting around and I'm thinking about the puzzle I did last night and trying to doodle out what I should have been doing. Yeah. people are taking screenshots. Jeff Gersman used Photoshop to try and figure out a fucking puzzle. <laughs> Like this, it, like if this is if you are a puzzle game fan, this is the game you've been waiting for. This sounds like um, the the closest we've come to anything like this in, in a long time was Fez. Yeah, uh, people are drawing the comparison between Fez and between Portal as well. Um, Portal more just because um, like they reckon it's going to get that kind of cult status, like Portal. Um, yeah it doesn't have like the dry weight of portal or anything like that but um put it this way like i can fucking breeze through both portal games no problem the puzzles have never really challenged me in either portal game yeah Uh, however this (laughs) there are literally puzzles where i have spent like you know a good 15 20 minutes staring at it or trying to figure it out <laughs> and i've just gone nope fuck this i'm walking off yeah but it's also one of those things where you can like uh, the first night i played it so yeah no i'm about i'd say i'm about five hours in now um i kind of there was one puzzle where i really hit the wall on because there's also like sometimes you get a sequence of puzzles 
and you solve that sequence to power the next sequence like there'll be a power cable going from that to the next one you have to solve in a chain and do it that way so there's a, a puzzle there's a type of puzzle where you're kind of your fail state because there's no like you don't die there's no way to like jump off ledges or anything like that the game stops you from jumping off ledges or anything like that but um the f the f kind of the 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 punishment they dangle in front of you is that with some puzzles and they don't tell you which ones if you get the first one right in the sequence that's great if you get the second one wrong if you're just trying to try and brute force the puzzle and solve it just by checking all the possible permutations because there are some puzzles where there's like only a certain amount of ways like a certain amount of routes you can take so if you wanted to you could try and brute force it by going right is it way number one way number two way number three and so on until one works um, with certain sequences of puzzles if you try to do that and you guess wrong um, it resets all the puzzles before in the chain oh good it's one of them yeah um, which is I think is the one thing people have said that like really <laughs> yeah um, now granted I'm not saying that like it's a massive chain that will be entirely reset like usually it's a chain of three puzzles so if you fuck up on the first on the second one it will reset the first one so then you know okay I'm not going to do the third one until I'm absolutely sure so because I don't want to redo the first and second one again but it's a kind of thing where you'll remember because you spend so long sometimes thinking about it um you will like breeze through redoing the first and second one because you'll have gotten by the time you get to the third one in a sequence of three you'll know the rule you know what I mean you'll have taught yourself like it's not one was it someone said uh, in one of their reviews they said this is a game where if you use a strategy guide or anything you're making the game harder yeah because the puzzles teach you how to do the more difficult versions of that puzzle so if you use a strategy guide you're missing out on learning the lesson that so that's made the let's say that's the easy puzzle that's made the intermediate puzzle puzzle a very very difficult one for you because you didn't learn the lesson mm -hmm. so there are puzzles where like in hour one if i'd come across them i would look at them and be like what the fuck is that like i am never going to be able to solve that but then i'll happen to wander past it in hour four having done like 50 more puzzles and suddenly I'll know the rule for it because I learned it way off on the other side of the island somewhere where there's a very simple version of that. And then I'll be able to solve it, no problem. Um, <clears throat> this game is a real, like, this is going to be the one where um, it is going to be a very, very good year for video games if this isn't in the conversation for Game of the Year at the end. Um, there are people who have played this game for over 80 hours and not beaten it 100%. Um, I have like I said I played five hours and I'm at eighty seven out of six hundred odd, and I know for a fact I have only beaten the core puzzles in one section, because there's a very diff I'm not going to spoil it but there's a very definitive thing that happens when you beat the final puzzles in a core in like the the core sequence in a section that yeah. that kind of lets you know without actually telling you with words that that is the end of that section now mm -hmm. so i've beaten one out of um the 10 main ones so like yeah i really love this game like it's maddening infuriating brilliant smart and like it's 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 dug its way into my brain and won't be coming out anytime soon um yeah it's uh, sounds like a jonathan blow game then 
yeah it's it's pretty fantastic uh anyway like i've i've gushed long enough and uh, danced around spoilers long enough uh just go fucking check out the game if any of that sounds like it appeals to you just go fucking buy it just do it uh, it's only 35 quid um considering how long it seems people are getting out of this game already uh it seems like a, a worthwhile investment uh mark what have you been playing this week give my ch- vocal cords a chance to rest well i've been doing one of three things since i've been back in the uk we don't hear about I, the first one i i've either <laughs> i've either been watching the first series of lucha underground to get ourselves prepared for the second series Wolf. of uh of quite a quite a fabulous show um i've been playing a game which i can't really talk about now because i think it qualifies more as a book club game so i'm going to save that for a later date okay but what i have been doing which i can talk about is i've been playing call of duty black ops 3 you sold out man now let me give you a little bit of context um i can't really unload my ps4 or my wii u um and my Vita has been at my grandparents for this week while I've been here with my uh, with my uncle. So, in terms of like console playing, he has an Xbox One, and other than a few times in my local game store, I've never really played the Xbox One before. Ah, that's so, an interesting question. How do you find the Xbox One experience? Uh, in very simple terms, I prefer the PS4 experience. Mm. Uh, I prefer the general layout of desktop. Um, kind of just, I don't know, there's a flow to it that works for me. Yeah, you should have seen that thing uh, last year. I've I've heard bad things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the only problem with that is my uncle is that kind of gamer. And when I mean that kind of gamer, he he's a uh, category of games at the moment, or library of games, consists of uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare and Call of Duty black ops free ah, so it's a also, bit of, like there, there are a sizable proportion of people who either just they get the call of duty every year the assassin's creed every year the fifa every year and that's their lot pretty much he does have my ogp as well but i have no interest in my ogp so. which like you know if that floats your boat that's grand but that's the yeah, I, I i identify with that you know that's not the kind of uh gamer you are yeah yeah yeah. and i mean to be fair he he does work quite a lot of the week so he doesn't have a lot of time so he's just the kind of guy that just wants to sit down play the multiplayer for an hour or so and he's grand and exactly. that's fair enough i have no issue that whatsoever More power to him. yeah uh, except when i have to sit there listening to him whining about how the guy on the other end must have a better internet connection because he always uh spots my uncle before my uncle spots him and i'm just like no you're just not very good at this game please accept that <laughs> regardless uh i came into this to play the single player campaign um because fuck online multiplayer it's just not for me yeah, I, I tried it for about a year with uh, the original Modern Warfare, and I, I tried, I tried, I tried. That was when I had more time. That was when my reflexes were a little bit quicker. Just can't do it. It's not for me. But with Call of Duty Four, the first Modern Warfare, I and to this day I am still of the um, opinion that the single player campaign for that game is actually very good and has some very, very uh, memorable set pieces. Uh, and it, it does have its flaws, and it does have certain tropes that have kind of seeded their way into a lot of the Call of Duty games since, and a lot of other games as well. But overall, I think it's actually a very good single-player campaign experience. I had that. I had the first Black Ops game, which 
had some questionable story decisions that it went with and was a bit mental that I wasn't prepared for, but I went with it. It was fine. Uh, I think it was... Uh, what? Yeah, it was the second Black Ops game that I went, fuck this series, I'm done with this. What the fuck is this? So I've come into Black Ops 3, and the, the general premise that I can see from the time that I've spent with it, which was only a few hours because I had to put the controller down and go for a walk and try and question certain life decisions that I were making. Um, you are you're trying to save some prince or some government head person, uh, and then you essentially get attacked by this advanced weaponry robot, combat robot, get your uh, some of your limbs ripped off, get beaten half to death, uh, and then you're essentially turned into Robocop. It's the most simple way I can put it. And you have some kind of implant inserted into you as well. And with this implant, you can extrapolate, extrapolate information just by using your hand, using the force. Uh, you can extrapolate information from uh, PCs, uh, you can uh, hack over drones and use them to fly around in a very poorly implemented fashion. Uh, and you can also extrapolate information from other people that have this uh, chip inserted into them. Um, but that's at the cost that you essentially leave them brain dead or kill them. And I think I remember from uh, Mr. Gerstman, he was saying on the uh, end of year reviews that there's one particular scene that actually works really well with that. But I'm never going to get to that point. I'm fine with all of that in theory. The problem with the the execution is that the scripting is beyond beyond appalling. Um, I don't expect them to tackle any kind of subject like this, which is is kind of relevant, I guess, in this kind of world that we live in. But the, the scripting and um, the, the choice of wording it, it it sounds like it was written at the people that, that this game is aimed at which is that kind of young male uh gamer base and i was just i was sitting there like okay i i want to try and get into what you're telling me here and like some of the set pieces you put together are pretty cool but the, the wording is so poor and so lazy that i after a few hours thought i can't i can't do this um, like the, the mechanics, the shooting is okay. It's very, um, simple. I mean, I, I guess there are options to kind of change some of that around, but I, I just tend to play what the game gives me when it comes to sh uh, shooting games. It does give you the option. I don't know if this is new to the series, but, um, you have, uh, obviously your guns that you can shoot with, and then you have, um, these kind of cybernetic abilities kind of similar to what you can do in bioshock with what the hell are they called again say that again in bioshock you have your guns and then you have your vigors vigors that's the one uh if anyone was going to answer that question it'd be you <laughs> you have something quite similar to that so you can kind of hack um robots and you can have them explode you can send out these kind of nano machines um and they can set people on fire which is pretty cool so it's incorporated a little bit of that into this but the whole time i was doing that i was just thinking well i'd rather just play bioshock and have a slightly more deeper storyline that kind of engages me um i don't know i i know that i'm not the intended audience target audience for this kind of game but just within a few hours i, I just 
I did not feel compelled to keep on playing it other than to see how much worse the the, the scripting um, and the general tone of what was being said uh, would carry on with. Uh, so yeah, just uh, I, I've played my Call of Duty for the year, and I'll come back in about five years' time. Um, I'll probably try and stick to the Infinity Ward games because they tend to be okay. It tends to be the tryout games that I go, eh, no, not for me. Yeah, I've. Um... I, I just reminds me of like literally today uh, in class I had a there was a there was a big function on and a lot of uh, the students were gone so two of my four classes today had a, a grand total of six students present uh, out of a normal kind of 20 to 25 so I kind of was just sitting back and chatting with them for a while and um, one of them was asking me kind of like because they know I'm a gamer so they like they asked me what I'm playing and stuff like that and they asked me did I play Call of Duty and I was like no not really like they don't I like them. I like I like you when Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare Two. I was in it for the single player, but as soon as the single player started becoming uh, less of a concern during development, um, that's when I started really peeling away from the franchise. And they're like, "Oh, what kind of like shooters would you play?" And I said something like Bioshock, and the kid turns around to me and just said, "What's that?" And I, yeah. <laughs> I just I just roared. I was like, "What are we teaching you in here?" <laughs> and like I. I mean, I know it's it's been discussed before. I know I've discussed it before on either this podcast or on uh, a previous incarnation uh, podcast that I, I used to do. And I was like, why don't they just at this point make their standalone Call of Duty online experience and just kind of bolt on whatever to that every kind of three to six months, kind of in a, a Destiny-type way? Because like, I, I don't understand what... Or I don't know what the the kind of online shooting audience they have. Like, do they just go from one game to the other, or do they keep kind of splitting or splintering? I I suppose to play devil's advocate, it's probably a case of uh, why fix what isn't broken yet. Like, the game still sell like gangbusters, so like until the sales start to take a serious dip, there's really no compulsion on them to try and look at changing the business or distribution model um you know what i mean like why do something slightly different when no matter like what they do the way it is currently like some of those call of duty games by all accounts from the reviews are absolute dog shit but they still make more money than is reasonable yeah i just i don't know i guess they could spend even more time focusing on the the online aspects which i mean from what i read they're actually okay um I, I just I feel they've probably got somewhere in there a subscription service that would work for them and just stop wasting our fucking time with this like half fangled attempt at a single player campaign that I don't think is fooling anyone at this point is is half baked half executed and just not overly enjoyable to play. Yeah, well, like they've started um, they've started doing that a little bit with like the PS3 and Xbox 360 versions this year had no campaign on them at yeah. all. Oh, really? Um, yeah, the problem I see with that is just on consoles, the history, shall we say, uh, with the exception of Destiny, who are actually doing quite well at the moment from what I can understand financially. Um, but um, when I look at other kind of multiplayer shooters with online only that have happened this generation and look and see how they've done trying to keep that relevant after a while like i know if anybody in the genre is going to be able to do it it's going to be call of duty but um at the same time like i look at the likes of you know titanfall remember before titanfall came out that was like supposed to be the call of duty killer 
Gee, do you remember when Titanfall was a thing? Yeah, and like that fell away so quickly. The same with Evolve, and I think part of Evolve's problem was not only that it was um, multiplayer only, but the fact that they were trying to get this um, like asymmetric online uh, four versus one shooter and shove it down our throats as an esport. Yeah, Evolve had a number of issues, but I mean, as you said, if any series was going to be able to do this um, with the the kind of standing that they have in in the, the video game industry or empire it, it's going to be the call of duty series um so uh, you know i it's just i don't know i just i feel like i want it just to be there to the side so i don't have to deal with this annual fucking here's another call of duty game and it's gonna happen and whatever it's fine um i just i just want it off to be inside in this little corner and just leave me the fuck alone that's fair enough Right, uh, before we get into news this week, we're going to introduce uh, a new feature for once. Uh, we're going to dip into the mailbag, Mark. Hello, my name is Mr. Burns. I believe you have a letter for me. Okay, Mr. Burns. Uh, what's your first name? I don't know. This is the replacement for our Oriental uh, Odyssey updates. Indeed, As yes. they are, no need. No need for them. Anyway. Um, so we're going to dip into the mailbag here. Um, you can tweet us at Link to the Cast on Twitter, or you can email us Link to the Cast at Gmail dot com. Get us anyway on the interwebs, and uh, every so often I'll round them up and I'll read out some of the the things that have been tweeted in at us. Um, firstly, to put you on the spot here, Mark, hi, uh, Stephen tweets in and is asking you in particular, um, what's the story with the old shows? Still no look. There are, I think, two to three shows missing from our archives on iTunes that are located somewhere on your laptop. Yes, uh, I have um, messaged young Stephen in the past. Uh, I do have, I believe I do have them. Um, obviously, I've been in China, so <laughs> it's, you know, there's no a reason. I, now you're back. No, there's a reason I haven't even been on the show, you know. Um, yeah. the, the plan was, as soon as I go to Ireland and, and we can all set up, uh, they will be... Um, put onto iTunes. Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, just to kind of address that for anybody else that was uh, kind of wondering where that, why there are a couple of numbers missing. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's our Mega Man Two show and um, the E3 show, the E3 pre and post. Yeah, um, which was not, which are not numbered shows. Yeah. If yeah, yeah, they're not canonical, shall we say? Yeah. Um. Then we have um. Ian tweeting in saying the uh, in a bit of feedback for our 2015 awards show episodes uh, saying that they were pretty great and uh, particularly uh, appreciated Jack's horn section throughout I will be honest I did appreciate that that got that got a pop out of me while I was on my bus on the way back um, <laughs> from Chengdu back to my college yeah uh, I mean it goes without saying uh, Jack is a, a fine member of the Link to the Cast uh, Empire and uh, he would definitely be back on at some point. Absolutely. Well, there's plenty more Metal Gear games to do. Aren't you yeah, looking forward to yeah. it? <laughs> you were probably hoping that once you went, we did like all five Metal Gear Solid games, five weeks running, so that there wasn't anything to do when you got back to do Metal Gear. To be fair, I, I would have been able to um, have my input for the first Metal Gear. And I actually know I could put a well, lot you of did. You were here for it. Exactly. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's how much I remember about it. And <laughs> I would probably be able to put input input in for Metal Gear Solid 2, but it would be more uh, vitriolic. Well, at some point we'll have him back on to talk for about 35 minutes about how great the theme song for Snake Eater is. Hey, even I, even I can attest to how good that 
That is. You're goddamn right, son. Uh, and our final piece of feedback for this week, uh, Lurkin tweets in and asks us, have we ever considered doing retro reviews? Uh, I'm assuming this is more like kind of... Um, like either focusing our book club on stuff that is kind of retro dated or perhaps even introducing a feature on the site whether it's like um youtube videos or uh, actually written reviews just about retro games well i figured that the whole reason he might be asking that because I, I i presume that the whole point of this podcast is we was doing retro reviews um i i can kind of see from some of the um uh, more recent podcasts that they've been on games over the last kind of five to ten years yeah and i figured that might be something to do with the fact that i've not been here um, yeah well the thing is like just to kind of get a bit uh, inside baseball about that there's kind of we're hamstrung some of the time with um the fact that brian is relatively new to the kind of the console gaming that he doesn't when we kind of sit together and talk about like what's he going to bring up as his next uh book club feature he obviously doesn't have the kind of uh the the uh, filing system in his brain for retro games that <laughs> yourself and myself do uh, on top of that as well like a lot of my favorite retro games that i really want to do for the podcast are ones that i didn't want to do without mark here one because like brian hasn't played them and like it's a great i'm not trying to shit on brian here like having brian who hasn't played most of these games is a great dynamic because then we have the two of us who have like played most kind of of the classics uh, obsessively in our in our youth uh, and now we get to, especially when you're here physically with us, we get to experience it fresh again through his eyes when he gets yeah. to play things for the first time. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be moving, like, uh, and you'll see today, because I, uh, I, it's my turn to recommend the game for next week. Like, we're already moving a little bit back with uh, Crash Bandicoot later in the show that you're going to be talking about. And then we're moving back a few years even um from that so like we are going to be hitting um the main reason i hit a lot of relatively recent games in the book club especially right before christmas um i think that in the build-up to christmas every year we're going to focus the book club on like the game of the year nominees if we haven't already talked about them that was my kind of that was my mentality um uh towards christmas yeah and, and that's hey, what everyone else is doing so you know. and, yeah and hey look it's um it's a feature that's all about kind of focusing on uh, not necessarily old games but important games do you know what i mean yeah. and yeah, important yeah. games don't have a particular time frame that they were released in like obviously we are going to get to the absolute classics i know anybody listening to this has a good like list of five or six uh, games in their head and believe me like when myself and mark have talked about this off the air we have a list of 20 30 even more games that we know we're going to get to eventually i i think i think as well like we we don't want to do the uh the, the wwe hall of fame issue they have now where you know we don't want to be putting in the coco bewares of the video game um back catalogs that we have in our heads so yeah. you know you want to you want to spread them out you want to have a big hitter every kind of three to four weeks yeah one thing i will say is that i'd be very much interested in um and i'd say you might be as well mark considering this was something you did uh on youtube before uh looking into the possibility of maybe doing more retro let's plays oh absolutely um as youtube content we're going to start churning out the youtube content a lot more once mark is here um yeah because once mark is here hopefully the three of us are scheduled to align in such a way that at least one of us will have a bit of free time at any one time to kind of look into a game or something like that or kind of at least putting our three heads together will um will figure something out yeah so, i think yeah. I, I think um i mean this is more for kind of off-air conversations about what the the brand focus for links to the cast in 2016 is but i do think that there will be more um 
uh, of an emphasis on on video content um certainly put the three of us together to to kind of really knuckle down on that yeah um so to kind of to sum things up um retro is a very very important part of this game as you can see by the cover art uh for our show thank you uh, thank you amo version one yes uh but at the same time like we we do like to keep up with the with the news of today um yeah so yeah like look forward to more kind of we'll be dotting around like we could go back as far as the 80s and then the next week could be up as like recent as a couple of years ago or something like that we kind of just we hop around depending on what seems like a good idea for the time we also try to do a few things that are timely like if we know that a big new installment of a particular franchise is coming out we're going to try like the the one i can think of offhand is i tried to coincide metal gear the, the Metal Gear Solid one with when Metal Gear Solid 5 came out and things like that. Yeah. So look into that. There's just, we, a lot of this has been like, let's just wait until Mark is back. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about my excursion. Do you know what I mean? Like, because myself and Brian are, are quite busy, so it's hard to find, you know, let's go and sit down for six hours and blast through something Brian's never played before while I take notes. Um, yeah, but we'll hopefully be able to get more than that when there's uh, three of us together. Anyway, um, I suppose uh, at this point then, uh, let's just go straight into the news. News on the mark! In the news this week, uh, it's a pretty light week, Mark. Either it's a light week or we've done a horrible job of uh, aggregating news. I I think that compared to some of the last few weeks... um... Yeah, it is a little bit lighter, but I'm I'm glad. I'm, yeah, we had yeah. kind of big, massive agendas before Christmas. Then there was kind of a quiet week or two. And then there was like one big kind of everybody's back in work now. So news is being kind of churned out a bit there last week and the week before. But uh, now we're kind of starting to slow down a little because there's not really, uh, with the exception of like The Witness and a couple of other games, Q1 is kind of quiet this year. Yeah. But um, talk to us about this Let's Play trademark. Uh, situation for those who are not in the know about what Sony have been trying to do. So basically, um, even though so- Sony, you know, they say that it's it's all about the players. Uh, basically, they have been trying to uh, trademark the term "let's play," which has been quite interesting. And this is their second rejection at it. Uh, so basically, uh, the company received uh, an initial rejection last month, but that ruling was in reality just a, a minor nuisance. Um, and Sony will not be able to overcome this rejection. Uh, this is off of uh, Game of Sutra, by the way. Uh, so the USPTO, which I have no idea what that is, uh, found that evidence suggests that the term Let's Play is a generic term in the game industry and Sony can't trademark it. Uh, legal experts contacted by Game of Sutra uh, didn't think Sony would prevail. Uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, I can see why they're trying to do it, um, but at the same time, considering what Sony have been like for the last couple of years, it seems like a very underhanded kind of thing they would do uh, and i'm very surprised uh by their attempts to trademark the term let's play yeah it's certainly um it's certainly counterproductive to the message that they've been going hard on since the the unveil of the ps4 and which they've done very well with as well oh they've done massively well and i think like that like apart from the fact that for a lot of people the ps4 is just the better system it's the system that feels more comfortable to play on um, I think a lot of the reason that they're kicking so much ass this generation that they're so like you know head and shoulders above Microsoft in sales is because of this message they've been putting out that like you know 
Xbox is the entertainment machine, but if you're a gamer, come here, we'll look after you. We're Sony. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. been so like 180 degrees from the PS3 where pretty much every part of that message was fucked up for so long. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is, like you said, it's a bit kind of shocking to see something that's quite underhanded to take a, a phrase that was so like ubiquitous in the, the online streaming community and to try and... Uh, patented but hey like in a world where taylor swift has uh, patented the phrase this sick beat uh i'm never surprised by any sort of lawsuit anymore i didn't know that was a thing yeah oh you should look into that story from last year it was a fucking hoot <laughs> okay all right we'll do okay next story um evo are you uh, a man who pays attention to his evo uh it's a little bit of i pay attention to it but also i have uh, a few friends that are kind of heavily invested into it. Um, I try to kind of keep up with the the highlights, if nothing else, and if there's a particular fight that that's pretty intense, I'll I will try and watch that. And plus, it's just really cool to see people um, get skilled at a game. And like, I thought I was getting pretty good at Mortal Kombat X, and then I saw it being played last year, and I realised I'm never fucking playing this against anyone. That... <laughs> that I know can't destroy me. It's basically um, the EVO, the Evolution Champion Series, which usually takes place in Las Vegas and will be there again this year in the Mandalay Bay Sports Arena. Uh, they've, they've kind of amped up a little bit. So it's taken place between July the 15th to the 17th. Uh, and this year, uh, so they kind of change up the line of games that they play. There's usually kind of a couple of... Um, staples of, of Evo but this year we've got a uh, Guilty Gear Xrd 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 f- fucking Japanese uh, Revelator uh, there's Pokken Tournament which I'm really excited for because I really want to play Pokken um, I really want to play Pikachu in a Tekken engine the think about that just it speaks to me uh, Street Fighter Five will be there, and Tekken Seven Fated Retribution. So that is on top of the regulars: your Super Smash Bros, Killer Instinct, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom Three, Mortal Kombat X, and Super Smash Bros. Wii U. Hmm. So it's a uh, it's interesting because like um, the kind of the competitive video gaming uh, kind of cottage industry really has never uh, appealed to me. But it seems whenever I read these stories that like it really is going from strength to strength. It is like it's it's a real massive kind of subset of the community. Yeah, um, and I think the thing as well is like I'm not really into my esports as well uh, to a certain degree. Like a lot of the the big kind of Dota tournaments and that sort of shit is it's so you so have to be ingrained in that bubble to really understand it. But with Evo, it's just it's fighting games there's not really much you need to kind of process it's you know it's why wrestling in its purest form is a beautiful thing you just have one guy on one side another guy on the other side and you just let him go at it it's the same with evo um there's a very pure art form to it that i can appreciate and usually like ends up in kind of highlight form in some way on youtube every year um and you know like usually like the tournament finals is always a kind of a big thing it's certainly for each of the games as well you can kind of see the best of the best going for it uh, you know, it's it's a, a little thing that I enjoy out of that whole esports genre. Fair enough. Um, EA, the um, long heralded as almost like the boogeyman of the games industry, um, have announced that they're not going to have a show floor presence on E3 at all this year. 
And uh, the reason I flagged this story, Mark, is because it's very interesting. Like, it, this really represents the kind of tug of war a lot of developers and um, publishers have with the notion of E3. Like, a lot of them make um, a lot of statements like, you know, oh, E3 is very passe and stuff like that. It's not how we want to do things. Like, the big one I can think of is Nintendo moving to their kind of... Um, their Nintendo Directs rather than actually having uh, yeah. a quote-unquote cr- classic uh, press conference yeah, yeah. at E3 every year. But the same at the same time, there's that tug of war happening where they don't want to do it, but it's still the one gaming event of the year that gets massive amounts of mainstream press. So that if you're a massive studio or things like that, like with the exception of I think the only one that really like genuinely don't give a fuck about E3 are Rockstar. <laughs> because they are their own hype machine like you know they could literally just you know put up a screenshot tell you roughly when the game is coming out and the press is going to generate itself but for everybody else it's kind of like sometimes you got to dance with the devil so it's kind been... of go on yeah i was gonna say i think that where we are at this point um in this 21st century communications era that as long as you are announcing something within that week of E3, regardless if you are E3 or not, and like Nintendo is the perfect example with the the videos that they were having, like as long as you have your allotted slot that you're saying, right, this is what we have. I, I can see not E3 in terms of um, the concept itself, but in terms of like companies and publishers going to E3, I can see this becoming a thing that happens over the next couple of years where um publishers and developers think you know we we really don't need to actually be there we can announce stuff of our own accord now not obviously obviously not all of the publishers and developers can do this but certainly um publishers like EA have the stroke where they can do that and Nintendo is Nintendo obviously so they can do that um and i can see this and certainly where we're getting a lot more um individual conferences where Sony are doing it Nintendo Microsoft um, and certainly with all of these other uh, expos that are taking place uh, in America and in, in England, I can see E3, it's still going to be the kind of head honcho for the video game industry, but I, I can see in some way its importance maybe diminishing ever so slightly over the next five years. Hmm. Yeah, it's something that there's there's a part of me that's kind of sad about it because like I do every year, at least the years where I all hope is not lost uh i do enjoy what we've been doing for the last few years which is just to get a stream going early in the morning whether it's the ign stream or whatever and just like you know have a few beers have a pizza just hang out for like several hours and watch the big conferences um so i hope like kind of uh pulling out from the show floor uh doesn't kind of collapse all that straight away i'd still like another few years of enjoying the kind of like the day zero uh run of press conferences and stuff and uh, because i think that's like it's still that's still really good at getting the hype going and there's always like it, there's always interesting well look microsoft always go early on the first day like you know what are sony going to do as a response and things like that and trying to kind of like again very inside baseball um, that holds a lot of interest for me. I'm sure, like the vast majority of people, don't even give a fuck. Like they just, you know. But uh, for people like us, you know, it's a lot of fun. Like I remember landing last year after coming home from um, Malta, I think it was, and um, in the airport, I like I had my phone blew up from like tweets and uh, PMs on Facebook and stuff like that, with kind of like 
um the stuff about microsoft's backwards compatibility and stuff like that and there's just kind of like there's just a bit of excitement to it and it's still a bit of a spectacle um and whereas like there's nothing in this story from austin walker on giant bomb that suggests they won't do their press conference but my suspicion would be that if everybody starts deciding to pull out of the show floor well then what's the point in having the convention center if there's no convention center well then there won't be any press conferences yeah um so like i'm hoping the dominoes don't fall uh, that quickly at least because i I still quite enjoy the the conference days anyway even though like i've never been to physically been to e3 so i don't know how awful it is walking around the floor there um so yeah we'll park that that's that's uh ea there'll be there'll probably be more on that uh, as it comes if other developers follow suit um playstation uh sony playstation have started um a bit of corporate restructuring mark um they've decided to put um both uh sony computer entertainment and what's the name of the other company um I can't. Oh, Sony Network Entertainment International. So Sony Computer Entertainment, which handles like hardware and game development and things like that, and uh, Sony Network Entertainment International, which are kind of they handle the PSN and PS Now side of things, the kind of the the online stuff. Um, they've decided to put the two of those uh, under one kind of roof, which you know make it makes a lot of sense because we've we've heard reports for years now that kind of the one lucrative part of sony's business at the moment because sony as a whole company has been hemorrhaging money for quite some time now but the one part of the business that's doing quite well is playstation and with kind of gaming you know hardware and software being more synonymous than ever with online and streaming and things like that it only makes sense to have the whole thing kind of centered uh, in one place um on top of that as well um, another thing I noted about this, like the the new headquarters, the game, the the whole company is going to be renamed um, as what is it going to be called? Sony Interactive Entertainment. That's going to be the kind of the umbrella term for all of it. And uh, the other thing I've noted interesting about this story is that it's all going to be based out of Sony Computer Entertainment of America's office, which also marks an interesting kind of change over the years that everybody has known. Like it's it's not it's it's quite obvious to see even from the outside how we've moved away from the period where the most like the biggest money making the most important shifts in gaming are coming out of games from japan to now being like a very kind of western oriented business um so it makes sense that they're going to headquarter things in san mateo and um sean Layden is now going to be the proper head of uh sie worldwide studios um and for those of you who are fans don't worry shuyashida is going nowhere He's still going to be there. He's going to he's going to keep his title as head of Worldwide Studios, but he will be a subordinate to Sean Layden, who are like oh, I'm fine with Sean Layden. Um, but yeah, your your thoughts on the the corporate restructuring going on at Sony there? It, to me, it's a it's a no brainer, really. Hey, you're the businessman here, so you <laughs> can't say anything that uh, I can't say anything that you haven't already said. Yeah, it just seems like with you know they're they're going great guns at the moment. It's a good time to restructure to kind of. Um, make the whole playstation business a bit more laser focused um and to kind of like acknowledge as well that the business is very um western oriented at the moment like it it just it makes sense it makes things a bit simpler um move on this one um plays close to your heart mark um mighty number nine has faced a third major delay um I, we talked about it a bit off air, Mark, but 
I remember hearing about this game originally before we really even saw anything. Um, I heard about it on the 8-4 Play podcast a long, long time ago. And I was excited. I don't know about you, but we're like when you hear that we're going to get like a modern kind of Mega Man clone, it's obviously not Mega Man, but by the Mega Man guy, um, you would have reason as a fan of the series to maybe be a bit excited and like hopefully this will be a return to form for a series that has, shall we say, strayed off the path uh, in recent years uh, under Capcom's uh, rule. I see now... I actually I disagree with the notion that the the series is straight off path because okay. uh, both Mega Man Nine and Mega Man Ten were both um, a return to uh, the series series of uh, past glory, and obviously it's not hard because they basically just took Mega Man Two and Mega Man Three and kind of broke them apart, put them back together again, and went here you go. And generally, they were very good games. I wasn't. I mean, obviously, I was excited by the idea of uh, Keiji Inafune making another Mega Man-inspired game. The problem straight away I had is that Mega Man games outside of the um, kind of NES graphical template have always lacked. Other than the the first couple of Mega Man X games, which I figured... I mean, Mega Man X is a phenomenal game, one of the best games in Super Nintendo and one of the best Mega Man games in general... But they quickly strayed off path quite violently, um, and I can't I can't put my finger on it. There's something about the the kind of tight um, tile based template of the original Mega Man games that works. And the moment they kind of go outside of that into any more uh, of a higher graphical fidelity, that something gets lost in translation. And so as soon as I saw uh, a uh, a trailer, a video trailer for um, the gameplay. It looked exactly what I thought it would look like, and I immediately went, "I don't think this is going to work." And ever since then, everything I've seen has led me to believe that's going to be the case. And now we're at the point now where we have uh, free delays for the game. Why the hell this game has matchmaking? I have no idea. Um, that that's the bigger surprise more <laughs> more than anything else. Yeah, I but, don't think uh, I I don't think you're alone there. I think a lot of people saw issues with matchmaking and were like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, like I I have issues with this game. Matchmaking was not one of them. So um, I'm intrigued by this game, but it's still at this point for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, I'm still just sitting right, sitting here just waiting for ukulele. Um, well, naturally. That's my spiritual successor that I'm still looking forward to. Um, tell us a little bit about Binding of Isaac, Mark. One of your favourites coming to iOS. Uh, look, now, I, I don't think there's anything about Binding of Isaac I could say that I haven't already said before. But yeah, apparently the, the rumour mill is that there might be an iOS version of Binding of Isaac. Um, the, the game is now out on the 3DS and the PS Vita and is doing very well. Um, but yeah, there's no confirmation. I... I'd be intrigued. Um, (sighs) Any game on the iOS system that isn't designed with the iOS in mind tends to struggle. Uh, And there's... I mean, it's not exactly button-heavy or context-heavy, as I'm going for. Um, So maybe it will work. But it's also the kind of game where you need to see the full screen, really, because like at any time, Binding of Isaac can turn into a pure bullet hell type game, and you really want to be able to see everything that's going on. So I'm intrigued. 
I don't think it's really necessary, but we'll see what happens. Okay, uh, and then the final bit of news for this week. Um, Bungie's studio president has stepped down and the board of directors have appointed a new CEO. Um, this is very interesting, uh, the timing for this anyway, because it seems uh, to a lot of people, um, kind of just observers of the game, like I still, I picked it up dirt cheap on in the January sales but still haven't had a chance because it's one of those games where like it seems like uh, an awful lot of investment would be needed uh, to fully experience it but it seems like that game really turned a corner at some point in the middle of last year yeah. and has actually filled out to the point where now you could officially describe it as a game yeah Um, and amidst all this and the fact that it's actually doing surprisingly well in terms of like the strong numbers of regular online engagement with the game um that this would happen um the rumor is that there was an unannounced so far unannounced sequel to destiny that was going to be dropping in september which i think to me just that was uh, i was surprised by that because to me that's like that's maybe a year too early mm-hmm. um as far as i'm concerned like especially when they had a number of years to get that first one right and it took them a year and a half nearly after that game came out to get that into proper working order um, so I can't imagine them being ready to go with Destiny 2 and that be a full fleshed out experience already um, so like, your thoughts on that like it's kind of I, I don't know I, I honestly don't know what to think of this like he stepped down like maybe you could read into it and say maybe that the delay to Destiny 2 was important for their financial bottom line for this year and perhaps he stepped down to kind of like take the flack for that happening um, even though we, like this again is just kind of looking at what happened and where the business is and trying to kind of join the dots even though we don't really know um, but yeah it's it, it, what I wanted like I'll get your thoughts on one the, the idea that the studio head would step down like is that a sign of something uh, and two then your thoughts on that Destiny 2 at some point had been earmarked for September of this year it's fair to say there's a lot that is behind closed doors here. Um, yes. And I think it's fair to say that what they had envisioned for Destiny when they announced it and the journey that we got to where we are now is probably not what they envisioned. Um, now, I'm happy, like, I have no interest in Destiny whatsoever, but I'm happy enough that they've got it to where. Um, they wanted it to be and that the people that have bought that game and got invested into that game from very early on now have a complete package i'm very happy to hear that but it does go without saying that the journey that they took to get here um is or was unacceptable um the state that that was originally released in uh i feel from all accounts from what i heard is completely unacceptable yeah and the idea that they have just now gotten Destiny where they need it to be, and now we're already in, in talks about the next game, apparently. But not even supposed... not even in talks, Mark. If it is true that it was due out in September of this year, the question must be asked, like, if at the time then, because if you think about the average development cycle for a game this big, yeah, you got to think that at the time when they would have been best served to divert all their resources to making the first one into a full game... The yeah. wheels were already in full motion to get the sequel into production. Yeah, uh, that that 
it's hard to say without knowing the exact timeline if there's any kind of shady business practices going on here. Uh, I think it could be a case of um, just a lot of unfortunate circumstances, which Bungie are of their... They have no one to blame but themselves for what they originally released and what they've had to do to get it to where they are now. The, the, just the, the idea that a game would have been coming out in, in September is um, kind of astonishing, considering, that, again, that they've only gotten Destiny now to what people originally thought they were going to get. So I can see why why the steps have been taken um, to uh, have the CEO step down and have someone else come in. Um, I mean, I guess we'll kind of see what happens over the next few months with what happens if they do, at, say, E3, announce the Destiny 2 for 2017 or whatever. Um, this is kind of one where you, you kind of have to see how the story unfolds for the next few months. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Like we we haven't got the the full story. We may never. It's one of these things, like when these uh kind of people step down or leave a project or something like that. We we rarely ever get the full story. Yeah. Um. Like in particular, I think people a lot of people are still chomping at the bit to get the whole uh, Amy Hennig Naughty Dog story that we probably never will get. Yeah. This this is one of those games where you really want the the development story the the diary like a documentary um behind this because i think there's some really fascinating stuff here yeah my uh my top one is still i want the uh the in-depth 3d realms documentary that uncovers what the fuck exactly they were doing instead of making duke nukem forever <laughs> <laughs> i don't think there's a a, a documentary long enough um <laughs> move yeah. out of the way making a murder jesus um yeah so that'll do it for the news this week uh so it's time to dip into the book club for this week and our game which is crash bandicoot Crash Bandicoot is a platform video game developed by Naughty Dog, you know those guys, uh, published by Sony Computer Entertainment for the PlayStation, the original PlayStation. Uh, it was originally released for the PlayStation on September the 9th, 1996. Uh, it was included in the Sony Greatest Hits lineup, and in 2007 was re-released as a downloadable game on the PlayStation Network. Crash Bandicoot is the first installment in the Crash Bandicoot series, chronicling 
chronicling the creation of the titular character at the hands of the series antagonist Dr. Neo Cortex and his henchman Dr. Nitrous Brio. Uh, the game's story follows Crash's efforts to stop Rio and Cortex's plan for world domination. Blah, 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 blah. The story is not why you play Crash Bandicoot. Let's get that out of the way right now. Uh, the story of Crash Bandicoot has much as, as much importance as Sonic or Mario. Although, with that said, Sonic fanfiction is the most terrifying thing in the world, and they <laughs> really take that shit seriously. Uh, Crash Bandicoot received generally positive reviews from critics uh, who praised the game's graphics and unique visual style, but noted the game's lack of innovation as a platform game, which um, I can kind of maybe disagree with. Uh, the game would later go on to become one of the best-selling PlayStation video games of all time. Now, Dave Ryan, I will start off by asking, what is your knowledge, history, and experience with Crash Bandicoot as a, the single, the, the first game, or the series as a whole? Um, I, in a word, limited. Now, <laughs> I am a man who enjoys his 3D platforming collectathon um, extravaganzas. Um, however, at this time in my life, I was solidly, um, I was, I had one religion, and it was Nintendo. And I was an N sixty four kid, hardcore. I was not only an N64 kid but I was the N64 kid who was so into his N64 out of insecurity because people around him had a Playstation that he all that I would refuse most of the time to even pick up the DualShock um or they, what, what, was they, what were they you admit that on the air. what were they originally called before they were DualShocks because they weren't the original line of those controllers didn't have vibrate in them did they a, a joypad maybe no yeah. the original ones didn't have a DualShock yeah um so like that was that was the kind of kid i was because it was kind of like it, it's weird like we had a kind of circle of um myself um and two other lads that lived in our estate here and kind of i was hardcore n64 the other guy was hardcore playstation and so i felt the need to beef up my love of uh, nintendo damn it all because when he was old enough to get when the third guy was old enough to get a console i was gonna do my proper snake oil salesman job and make sure he got an n64 so i had an n64 buddy but um that was my thing that like a lot of the playstation when i started playing playstation one games was either later in life kind of like when i was uh, a teenager going back and playing some retro stuff deliberately or it was kind of like there was a kind of I don't know, a six or seven month overlap period where before I got my PS2, I got my cousin's second hand PS1 and that was PS1 spelled O-N-E, the slim model, um, that I was kind of dicking around with stuff like siphon filter and stuff like that. So I kind of like got a bit more up to speed on the um, PlayStation 1 fair. But again, like Crash Bandicoot, I can understand... Um, for a lot of people like that and the two big ones like whenever i thought of that period of playstation i thought of crash bandicoot and spyro being the two kind of games of that ilk that like i know that's similar to experiences i would have had on nintendo that i would gravitate towards uh but crash never really grabbed me in the same way some things like the likes of the that i go on about all the time banjo kazooie um does so like whereas i enjoyed my time playing it um, the first one and I believe the second one as well if I'm not mistaken um, I, it, it's never really something like put it this way like if the two of us were to go separately and make our list of 100 games that we're going to put on this book club Crash wouldn't have been one of the ones that would appear on it for me because I don't think I got to it at the right time in my life for it to become an obsession like I did get to the right time with Banjo-Kazooie if you, if you understand me 
Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Um, yeah. The thing, the first thing to say about Crash Bandicoot, so the original PlayStation came out uh, in 1995 in both North America and Europe. Uh, Crash Bandicoot came out about a year or under a year later. And if you look at, I, I would confidently say about 99% of all the games uh, from that kind of original year of the PlayStation's existence, most of them look horrendous um, yeah. or just aged very badly. Now, there's one game that didn't, which was Cooler World, but that was just a ball and a bunch of blocks, so it kind of gets away with it. Crash Bandicoot is a pretty vibrant experience um, yeah. with stuff going on. And it's really not aged at all. Um, I mean, obviously, it still looks like a PlayStation 1 game, but that and uh, Mario 64 are two games, two platforming games of that era that still both stand up and have held the test of time both graphically, but also um, just mechanically in how they play. As everyone bangs on, and I'm certainly the first to say it, that like, Mario 64, like its claim that I think it will hold for a very, very long time as being the greatest platformer ever is that not only did it reintroduce Mario as a 2D to 3D experience, it did it so seamlessly and like Mario controls just in so perfectly, like you can pretty much do anything with him to get to any platform that is within your distance. Now Crash Bandicoot doesn't have that same level of fidelity but he's certainly, compared to a lot of games of that era, he's not clunky. Like, you can you can jump and you can move and you feel that you're in control. Um, he doesn't have the kind of extended range of mobility that Mario does. But for what that game does, and for what they introduced, um, certainly by the third Crash Bandicoot game, which I do think is the best in the series, but, you know, for, for the focus of this, we're talking about the first one, um, it still controls very well. And... Um, in 2016, you can still go and play that game and it is as playable now as it was back then. And that is the kind of true mark of a game that stands the test of time. Mm. And usually when people talk about games that stand the test of time graphically or mechanically, you usually look back to, um, I certainly think about the kind of uh, Super Nintendo era. Like the first game we ever spoke about was uh, Link to the Past. And that game stands the test of time graphically because it's of that um, kind of pixel art style, which is it's timeless you know it really is timeless a lot of those 3d games i the one i always go to is the original tomb raider uh, tomb raider game or most of the tomb raider series up until um the kind of like uh hd remastering whatever you want to call it the, the xbox 360 games like that first tomb raider game is borderline unplayable and graphically is just a, is a mess yeah absolutely <laughs> But Crash Bandicoot is not. It's really not. You can play it now, and it it still looks. It has its jagged edges, but it, it still looks, um, you know, very colourful, very vibrant. Um, and what I like about Crash Bandicoot, and now you know, um, as we've discussed on this podcast, Brian is the RPG Wunderkind. I am the the. What is my nickname? The platforming prodigy. The platforming prodigy. I like it. I like the alliteration. I'm a boy, I'm a man, a man who enjoys his platforming. Uh, and Crash Bandicoot hits that fine line between um, very simple enough mechanics to introduce you at the start, and then they kind of expand on them as the game uh, goes on and progresses. 
and the difficulty curve uh, progresses as well at a nice even pace. Um, by the time you get to the last kind of levels of the game, uh, the challenge is increased tenfold, and it's your skills that are put to the test. It's one of those games that is very good with its level design, and it introduces mechanics, uh, and then kind of reapplies these mechanics as the game goes on, but in harder, uh, harder situations, harder settings. Um, and it's one of those games that it's you can never blame the game if you fail. It is always your own fault for not being good enough at the game. It's kind of the the F zero analogy that I use. Like, like certainly for the N sixty four and F zero game. Like that game is solely focused on your skills. How good are you at this game? And Crash Bandicoot fits into that category. Uh, and like as the series progressed, it kind of. I don't know, it felt like it lost its way or it I don't know, it started adding mechanics that didn't need to be there, adding extra characters and NPCs and it kinda of happens with a lot of series, you know. Um Mario's one of those rare games where it's done that but kinda of still stands the test of time. Who knows why? Um so yeah, like I'm not gonna sit here and explain the plot to you because that that is not what Crash Bandicoot is about. <laughs> and if I was to do that, I'd I'd be questioning certain things about myself. Um, I think the key thing as well with Crash Bandicoot is, so when you think of the original PlayStation and you think of the the mascots or the the kind of things that you think about when you think of PlayStation, Crash Bandicoot fit that mold. I don't know whether that was the intentional thing because you had uh, Mario was, you know, Nintendo, uh, Sonic was Sega. And the two main kind of characters in that early period that you thought about with the PlayStation was uh, Crash Bandicoot and Lara Croft. Uh, would you agree with this, even as a non-PlayStation person at the time? Yeah, I, I certainly think, like, Crash Bandicoot was a perfect fit as the kind of the brand ambassador for PlayStation. Because when you think about the other big two, you know, you've got, like, I suppose PlayStation uh, arriving really marked the, the start of the uh, the, the, the the downslope on the bell curve for uh, Sega but like when you think about Mario and Sonic the the third one that fits that aesthetic great is Crash do you know what I mean and Crash as well is a great platforming character and banner character for a brand for the 90s you know what I mean and I think maybe the 90s-ness of Crash uh, and the same can be said for Sonic as well is part of why Crash isn't around so much anymore because i think like a lot of that character and how kind of frenetic and energetic that game is is very much like a product of its time if you know what i mean like i know the games are eminently replayable but they're replayable by us i i would say at the same time if you sat a kid from today down with crash bandicoot i think they might see it differently than us whereas you can sit a kid down in front of super mario like one of the early ones like maybe not the uh the the nes one but maybe like you sit them in front of super mario world certainly and they're going to have a grand old time still Um, yeah yeah but i I definitely would go along with you to say that like more so than lara croft i would say like i think lara croft was the brand ambassador for the uh the tween to teen kind of age group whereas kind of for the kids who are with gaming consoles often the most important uh crowd to get in you know make them converts from an early age and keep them with the brand forever i think crash at that time was the more important like because the adults had 
the likes of like I said Lara Croft but they also had like the, the, the trio of Final Fantasy games on there to keep them coming in whereas I think like for kids in particular you need that one strong character who's very identifiable with the brand um, so yeah I would definitely agree with uh, his importance in that regard yeah and the I guess you can see the misconception that he looks like a very uh, kid orientated kind of character and that his games would fit that mould but mm. Those first three Crash Bandicoot games are very, very challenging. And I know that I was making the comparison to Mario, but I think actually you could make more of a comparison to the Donkey Kong series in that uh, Donkey Kong, like his range of movements and what he can do, he just jumps. He can jump, and every now and again he jumps on the back of a rhino, and it's the rhino that gives him those uh, extra abilities. And that's kind of stuff that they actually did introduce into the later Crash games as well. Um... And I'm trying to think of the best way to play it, uh, best way to say it. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think, there's certainly more uh, of a comparison uh, between the the Donkey Kong series, just in terms of the kind of environments uh, and the places that you kind of explore, um, and just in the kind of different uh, ways that you uh, interact with the environment, with uh, steam vents, uh, platforms, bouncy pads, that kind of stuff. Um, and you see, I think with the the Crash games, what they do is that they take that kind of that tropical environment and then they uh, they expand on that with um, different places like Aztec ruins, which actually are quite, quite similar to Donkey Kong. Now I think about it, but certainly with the the latter part of the game, where you're in uh, this more industrial factory setting, and then how they would expand on that with certainly um, Crash Bandicoot Three, where you was going to different points in time. Uh, and what they would kind of introduce there. And I think that... Um, uh, what was I going to say? One second. <laughs> oh, God. What was I going to say? I think as well, what really is the key thing for that moment in time is that other than Mario, like the, the idea of that 2D to 3D transition pretty much a disaster for the most parts and like you had um all the the consoles of that time whether you had the the 3do the atari jaguar uh the sega 32x jesus christ or the sega saturn uh they all had their faults um and some of them were on the the, the part of the developers or on the part of the machines themselves the PlayStation kind of came along and was a, a platform where developers really had a chance to kind of harness how to make 3D games uh, and how to make good 3D games. And obviously Nintendo were there to kind of set the trend, but it was Sony that went alongside that. Uh, and I think between the two of them kind of really paved the way for what the, the rest of the 90s would have for, for 3D games. Uh, because that kind of mid-90s period, uh, like 94, 95, where you had like the 3DO and the, the Atari Jaguar uh, they were kind of banging on about, yeah, we're we're the place for the 3D games, we're the place for all like 128-bit graphics, and it was just one disaster after another. And I really think that both Mario and definitely, definitely Crash Bandicoot are there at the start. And everyone will always go to Mario first, but I definitely think Crash Bandicoot um, and Naughty Dog in particular deserve uh, their props for being there at that moment in time. Um, and I'm not going to say you being like a trendsetter. Or, or something that people would kind of look up to for years going forward. But I do think that Crash Bandicoot maybe gets overlooked um, when it comes to 
video games of the era and and their importance. Mm. It's hard to reconcile the idea of the naughty dog that came up with Crash Bandicoot with the naughty dog that came up with The Last of Us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's incredible um Colin Moriarty did a great I think it was a five piece series on IGN when he was still working there uh, long form articles about the history of Naughty Dog that are just absolutely fascinating to see the transitions that took place in that company but like it, it's interesting to see that like with the exception of kind of going dark for a while uh, during the, the mid to late PS2 era how Naughty Dog have really like consistently uh, solidified themselves as being a real cornerstone of why you should play PlayStation um, both with kind of like hooking you in with Crash Bandicoot in the 90s if you were so inclined and now like developing some of the like the the console exclusive between The Last of Us and the Uncharted series kind of console exclusives that are nearly peerless um, it's just an interesting kind of thing to note um, there was another thing I wanted to ask you about Crash Bandicoot your thoughts um, so the original trilogy of fantastic games and a lot of people on the internet now in the last couple of years particularly it kind of reoccurred during E3 where Sean Layden I think it was came out in a Crash t-shirt um, a lot of people are clamouring for a reboot to the series or a kind of like a follow on if not a, a full kind of uh, system reset on the Crash series uh, what are your thoughts as a Crash Bandicoot fan about like what do you want from it? Do you want the kind of the trilogy to stay where it was and kind of like it was great for the time, but it shouldn't be brought into now because it will do a Sonic and desecrate its own corpse after a while? Um, or is it I, something you think could work now? Um, like you're talking about a, a climate where the, the 3D um, action collectathon platformer is certainly not as big as it used to be but at the same time you're seeing things like the Ratchet and Clank reboot has got a fair bit of hype around it because with you know with the film coming out uh, and at the same time as well like people like us are really like I already said on this show are really excited for ukulele to come back out so maybe a reboot will fill a hole in the market that we didn't even know was there yeah I, this is the thing I, I I know there are people vying for uh, a Crash Bandicoot game I have heard about that I do agree with you that um, it almost it is really kind of a product of its time. It's not a relic of its time, but it is a product of its time. And I was looking through right now and seeing the kind of developers that were working on it and the publishers, and, and apparently Activision have been publishing it. Um, and the last game was made by I don't even know who Polar Bit are. Um, it, I mean, it's a game that has had its issues. Um, and the first question, like more than anything else, is like who who do you get to develop? Well, it's not. It's not going to be Naughty Dog now because they done grown up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I don't think there's anything you can really do with that series that hasn't been done before. I mean, mm. other than, and like the whole like concept of rebooting a series. Like, I understood that they rebooted Lara Croft because they completely changed the way that game was mechanically. And God, like, you know, people give out about the, the constantly rebooting things, whether it's films or games or something like that. But you want to talk about uh, a series reboot that we didn't think we wanted but turned out fucking brilliantly. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's Lara Croft. Yeah, and I, I was fine that they really wanted to um, harness, like, her origin story and really explore uh, that area. 
the fuck are you going to do with Crash Bandicoot? Like, are you going to give it this kind of darker, gritty edge and really explore the kind of the battle between uh, Crash and Cortex and his plans for global domination? No, for fuck's sake, of course you're not. <laughs> this ain't your daddy's Bandicoot, kids. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't see what they can do with it to make it... Um, a, to make it a game that people would buy as like a full AAA title. Like, I don't think you're going to get that now in, in 2016. Um, and so all I can see happening is they'll, and it's it's really the Sonic Syndrome, where you basically release another game, add a new gimmick onto it, and you have that kind of law of diminishing returns. Um, maybe they could get away with it for one game. Um, I mean, there have been games where the series was put through the ringer, and then they came out with something where they rebooted it, like uh, the Mega Man series. But I don't think, think that really applies to to Crash Bandicoot here so I don't see the need for it like I'm sure if they did announce it and they did release it I'm sure it would play it and I'm sure it would be like yeah this is okay cool great whatever but I don't think there's anything they can do more with that series that would necessarily compel me unless they turned it into um Ah, uh, see, so I don't know because I feel like the big thing at the moment is those kind of two D platformers in in the realm of like the Rayman Origin series yeah. and, and Super Meat Boy and stuff like that. So if they could maybe incorporate that into the three D environment, sure, that might be kind of interesting to see. But uh, I don't know. I I don't think there's anything there that really needs to kind of to go back on to, to kind of say, oh yeah, uh, this this is what's missing right now in 2016. Yeah, um, to kind of bring things to a close now, I'll, I'll ask the question I normally do when uh, you guys are doing the book club on here. Um, your elevator pitch, uh, sell me on it. If I'm one of the people, like the like I try to remind people, because every person's podcast, uh, or every podcast is someone's first podcast, should I say. Um, what we try to do is explain why our book club game of the week is an important game for people to play so if i were to ask you for your elevator pitch about why someone who has never picked up crash bandicoot before should pick it up um could you please elaborate because i'm fucking right <laughs> uh no <laughs> um if you are someone if you're I'll, I'll pitch this actually at the the kind of younger generation the up-and-coming generation um I mean, right now, it's very easy. Uh, Crash Bandicoot is available um, to download on, on the PS3 uh, for a pretty reasonable price. Or if you have a PS Vita, you can download it on there as well. And that's a perfect place to play, actually, on, on the PS Vita. Um, it's one of those games that I think was very important for the beginning of the PlayStation cycle. Uh, PlayStation's life, sorry. That, Lara Croft, Wipeout, those kinds of games. Um, I don't think it's... Uh, a kind of cornerstone of, of the video gaming industry. I don't think it's one of those games that, like, if I was to make a top fifty games, like the important games uh, of the video game industry, I don't think it's in there. But it's one of my top fifty favorite games um, because it's just it's a fun, uh, enjoyable game that challenges you. It's a very challenging game. Um, and that's kind of one of the things you want to look for in a platforming game. But it's not a challenging game because of poor game design or poor game mechanics. Challenging because the level design is very um, very well put together uh, and progresses at a, a very um, reasonable but intelligent rate. Um, 
there's three of them in the series, that original series, and you can kind of see the progression between the three of them. They're all equally enjoyable, have all of their own merits and charms to them. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's Crash Bandicoot. He's a fun, wacky little marsupial, you know? He just wants to collect some fruit and have a grand old time and stop global domination. I think we can all uh, relate to that. <laughs> in our own way. In our own way. Well, thank you very much for that, Mark. Uh, to wrap things up here, I think it's time for us just to... Uh, point to our uh, game of the week for next week we're going to stay in 1996 mark with a game that when i uh, asked you about it your thoughts on us doing this as a book club feature you said it's perfect because you had never heard of it i've never even heard of it so this is this is me pulling out my obscure gaming uh, knowledge here we're staying with 1996 a pc game a point and click adventure game called the neverhood so that's the Neverhood for next week on the podcast. And hopefully some people will figure out a way to play it using DOSBox or whatever. <laughs> um, because believe me, I've been looking into it to try and get Brian to play it. And um, yeah, I'm going to have to figure out some sort of way to do it. I think I have figured it away, but uh, more on that when we do it. Um, but this uh, book club feature won't be for two weeks because next week, Mark, we're doing a very special edition of the show indeed um mark as we said before at the very top of the show is going to be doing his big move coming to ireland so our hope for next week is that we're going to go ahead and do a road trip podcast uh, if that works out if you don't hear from us between now and then it's because the recording didn't turn out so great <laughs> but we're going to give it a bash anyway and uh, considering we will be in transit across to the guts of two countries um, we are going to do a portable gaming special. We'll still have our news. Whatever news happens that week, we'll download. We'll have it with us in the van. But um, kind of in terms of a, a book club feature, kind of special feature for the back half of the podcast, I think we'll talk about uh, portable gaming as a little bit of a, a special edition for the show. Uh, so the Neverhood then in two weeks, uh, hopefully, if we can get time to all sit down and play that. Um, so I suppose that leaves us to wrap things up for a link to the cast I, I like every week I forget that I need to write down the wrap up so that I get everything <laughs> in there and every week I fucking forget anyway we're f- uh, link to the cast.wordpress.com is where you can get everything we centralize all our uh, releases our content whether we're doing YouTube stuff um, or kind of um, our the occasional review or written piece we put up or uh, the podcast that's where you can find the show notes and everything um, we are facebook.com slash link to the cast twitter.com slash link to the cast we are link to the cast.tumblr.com which I haven't checked in fucking ages lord knows we might have a couple of messages in there for the nail bag for all I know um, our email address link to the cast at gmail.com we are twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast and our YouTube link our YouTube link is so convoluted just find uh, link to the word link to the cast.wordpress.com I always put the link to our YouTube channel in the show notes uh, so check it out there and then for the two of us uh, Mark is online uh, on Twitter at lithium project and I am at Dave Ryan IV uh, so without further ado that's uh, another episode of Link to the Cast I'd like to thank everybody for listening Mark I'd like to thank you for coming on and giving us a very enlightening discussion on uh, Crash Bandicoot and making me kind of want to go back and visit it again good um, my worker is done uh, so yeah for the podcast this week uh, I'm Dave Ryan that guy over there is Mark Robinson Cero miendo. and we'll see you again
Frank. Ain't nobody man enough to feel the pain. And you can be next. You better give respect. Cause ain't nobody breaking this redneck. No hell.